kingdom of the planet of the apes has arrived in IMAX. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Start clean with Clorox. Because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Yeah, the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Do you know the joke about, um, the joke about 1919? I don't know that I, joke. Uh, Einstein created the theory of relativity. It was all about space. And it was about time, too. <laughs> we have done a ton of shows tied to things like the Declaration of Independence, even revisiting the Declaration with the lens of people who were not included in the people with those unalienable rights. It uh, so happens that the word is unalienable, not inalienable. One of the first things we ever did together was about the flag mm. and, you know, st- a Supreme Court cases about should you be forced to salute it? What happens to you if you burn it? These are all things that you listeners out there should be listening to on the 4th of July. And I got, ha- and I got a link to all those in the show notes. If you, so if you're driving anywhere on the 4th, you can listen to those. And, you know, we're recording this the night before the 4th of July, Independence Day Eve. What I'm, what I'm thinking about is that I've been reading a lot on Twitter about how some people are celebrating this holiday differently because of what's been going on in the past few really? weeks. Really? There's some people who are choosing not to celebrate Independence Day. Um, some people are hanging flags outside. Other people are hanging flags upside down outside in mm-hmm. front of their homes. So what we're going to do for this episode today is to just <laughs> put all that to the side. I see fireworks. I see the pageant to top and You're listening to Civics 101. I'm Nick Capodice. I'm Hannah McCarthy. And we're going to take a break today from what we usually do and give you all some things to consider. Some myths about the 4th of July itself and some trivia and ephemera about the symbols, songs, lots about the songs, and food that have become patriotic staples to celebrate the history of our nation. First thing about the 4th of July, and Hannah, you know this one, we got the date wrong. Yeah, So my understanding is that Congress votes on July 2nd to declare independence from England, which is like a terrifying act because they're committing treason against their country. Yeah, they voted on July 2nd to adopt what was called the Lee Resolution. Richard Henry Lee went down to Virginia. Well, so my question is like, why don't we just celebrate on July 2nd? Well, we started celebrating on July 4th and then it just stuck. Did Um, we formally adopt it on the 4th or did we formally adopt it in August? When everybody finished signing, because it took that long. Right. July 2nd is when we declared independence. July 4th is when the Congress accepted the final version of the Declaration of Independence. That's what it is, which is sort of such a wishy-washy yeah. date to choose. Well, it was kind of The picked. final draft. John Adams, who, uh, interestingly, along with Thomas Jefferson, would die on the 4th of July, 1826. Uh, he wrote to his wife, Abigail Adams, on July 3rd, 1776, to say... 
should I impersonate John Adams as like William Daniels or, or, or like, Who's should I do it as myself? You give, for any of you out there who don't know uh, William Daniels, he's the voice of Kit and Knight Rider. Michael, I just detected tumblers opening the security locks in that office. It's all falling into place, Kit. And Mr. Feeney in Boy Meets World. That's, that's how I know the gentleman. The real hero is someone who does the right thing when the right thing isn't the easy thing to do. He played John Adams in 1776, but he wrote to his wife, Abigail, and I'm just going to say it as me. And he said, the second day of July, 1776, will be the most memorable epoch in the history of America. I'm apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. Um, And then he went on to say that it ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other. From this time forward, forevermore. July 2nd, everybody. July 2nd is when we celebrate our Independence Day. In 1941, a provision was made so that all federal employees got paid time off on the 4th. Uh, as do we, uh, but I think we're going to be. Wor- I'm going to be working another day. Are you going to take the fourth off? Or are you going to do some work on the fourth? I will be working tomorrow. But our job is about the country, you yep. know. So don't forget to take that comp time, Hannah. <laughs> I always do forget. Next up for celebrating the Fourth of July, I want to talk about America. 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 On this show. Now you know why it's called North America and South America. It's named after. Amerigo Vespucci. Very good, very good. And our official name was the United States of America once we declared our independence. And that's quite a mouthful. So there's a wonderful episode of NPR's Throughline. I've got links to it in the show notes. Everybody should listen. Uh, one of the hosts, Rund Abdel Fattah, talked about the surprisingly recent usage of the word America to describe the country in which we live. Mm-hmm. Very new. Everybody should listen to the episode. But the part I want to relate to you now, Hannah is that they had a scholar, Daniel Imbervar. He studied all the speeches and writings of all the presidents in the 18th and 19th century. And he found only 11 times that a president referred to the United States as, quote, America. Like, usually it was the Union or this Republic, Yeah, right? or Columbia, people sometimes call oh, it. Oh, that's right, because of uh, Columbus. Right. Oh. But in 1901, Teddy Roosevelt becomes president, and he goes bonkers for the words America and Americans. He was calling it America every, you know, every chance he could get. He was basically saying bully and not shooting baby bears and saying America. Indians. Are the American people fit to govern themselves, to rule themselves, to control themselves? I believe again that the American people are, as a whole, capable of self-control and of learning by their mistakes. I try to impersonate. He almost sounds Scottish. Put your dollars. It's funny because you can hear echoes of him in FTR's recordings later. Yes, you can. When you put your money in a bank, that was a joke for an audience of one. And to emphasize my point and make a bit of a pivot towards the next subject, Hannah, isn't it interesting that we have a national anthem that does not contain the word America anywhere in it? Oh my gosh. I'm going to tell you about our Star Spangled Banner and all the other songs, but first we've got to take a quick break. And if you like this pretty much nonsense, just, just fill in the air with some 
some fun chatter. We have a newsletter that does pretty much just that. It's called Extra Credit. It's just like this episode. And you can subscribe at our website, civics101podcast.org. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has arrived in IMAX. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Start clean with Clorox. Because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... The charcoal mask, great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice, I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer? The ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. All right, we're back, and we left off earlier with you pointing out the fact that the word America doesn't even appear in our patriotic songs until, what, like the 20th century? Yeah, until 1901. Wow. When we're talking Fourth of July songs, what's the first one that comes to mind for you, Hannah? Uh, I would probably go with the Star-Spangled Banner. All right, Star-Spangled Banner by Francis Scott Key. Why are so many of our patriotic songs hard to sing the star spangled banner is not just hard to sing it's one of the most famously difficult songs to sing i know do you know why because of the range an octave and a half exactly when you start off you're like oh say you're like well that's a deep one and then it's another octave and a half to land to the free yeah and it's hard to hold your highest note on an e sound i know nearly impossible The Star-Spangled Banner was made our official anthem uh, by an act of Congress in 1931. Some folks love it. Some folks hate it. My personal favorite pro-national anthem take is one by Lori Anderson. She said she liked how our national anthem is just a lot of questions. (laughs) Can you see? Say, isn't that a flag? Hmm, couldn't say. Really, it's pretty early in the morning. Hey. Do you smell something burning? I mean, that's the whole song. Let's go to the story of the Star-Spangled Banner. It was written by sometimes poet, sometimes lawyer, always kind of all around not a great guy, (laughs) Francis Scott Key. Uh, The poem, it was indeed a poem, Hannah. It's called The Defense of Fort McHenry. On September 14th, 1814, Francis Scott Key witnessed the bombardment of Fort McHenry. And at dawn... He would not know which side won, uh, either the Americans or the British, until he saw what flag waved in the morning. And he saw this large 
massive, I think it's a 30-pound flag waving in the morning. Do you know which American flag it was he saw? I feel like it wasn't like your traditional stars and bars, right? It was right. a different looking flag. It was when we used to do things a little different. We didn't just add a new star when we added a new state. <gasps> we added a new stripe, yeah, which had, would have been way I know, too much. 50 stars and 50 stripes is how big our, uh, was what a flag was. Can you imagine how pink. big it would be? The Fort McHenry flag had 15 stars and 15 stripes. And this was the this was the flag and we decided, hey, let's just keep it 13 stripes and we'll just add a new star every time. I'd like to get back to the poem's author, Francis Scott Key. Uh, he was indeed an enslaver. Uh, he also believed that black Americans could never be part of our great national experiment. He was a founder of ACS, which is the American Colonization Society. Oof. Are you familiar with their work? The, the, I this, think I probably am without really knowing. Exactly. So the, this is the group whose entire goal was to send free black Americans to Africa. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, specifically to Liberia, mm -hmm. a country created and named Liberia, uh, li literally translation, land of the free, by the American Colon Colonization Society, uh, who by 1867 had facilitated the migration of over 13,000 black Americans to Liberia. Uh, and I'm not done yet. Uh, another thing about this anthem is it, it's, rare, uh, it's got a rarely sung third verse, which has the line, No refuge could save the hireling and slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave, which some scholars say is a direct celebration of slavery. And others say it's simply using slavery as a metaphor for British oppression. Regardless, because of these words, in 2017, the NAACP in California called on Congress to completely replace our national anthem with another song, which didn't happen. Either way, it's, it's representative of the reprehensibility of Francis Becky, isn't it? All right, song number two. You ready for this? Yeah. Uh, My Country Tis of Thee. The words were written by a Baptist minister, and he was an author as well, Samuel Francis Smith. And My Country Tis of Thee is a kind of song that's a word you're never going to find on an AP government or Civics 101 glossary, but I'm going to give it to you all out there anyways. My Country Tis of Thee is what's called a contrafactum. Do you know what that means? No. A contrafactum is when you swap the words of a song from another song or a poem and you don't change the music at all. My Country Tis of Thee, it's music, is another patriotic song. Do you know what song it comes from? Is it a British song? It is. Yeah. It's the British song. God Save the King, or oh, okay. God Save the Queen, oh, depending okay. on who's ruling at any given time. Oh, um, <laughs> Wait, how does it go? How does it go? God save our gracious king, something, something, God save our king. That is really phoning it in. Not, well, not the British, but us. Yeah. There was a famous blistering abolitionist version of My Country Tis of Thee, uh, written in 1843 by A.G. Duncan. My Country Tis of Thee, stronghold of slavery of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, where men man's rights deride, from every mountainside thy deeds shall ring. <gasps> oh, my. It's, That's it's, actually, what year is that again? That was 1843. All right. A.G. Duncan. And no one knows much about that guy. America the Beautiful. You know which one that is? 
Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain, for purple mountains, majesties above the fruited plain. America the Beautiful was written by an organist. Wait, actually, the music was written by an organist named Samuel Ward. But the words, Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain, that was by poet and essayist Catherine Lee Bates. Uh, Catherine Lee Bates was a social activist. She wrote specifically about the struggles of women, people of color, people experiencing poverty. She wrote about the horrors of the Industrial Revolution. Anyway, Catherine Lee Bates wrote the poem, which was initially entitled Pike's Peak in 1895. Funny little aside, the guy who did the music, Samuel Ward and Catherine Lee Bates, they never met each other. And carrying on in our We Never Say America tradition, it was first called America the Beautiful in 1910. Our penultimate patriotic song, Hannah, is the one that your grandmother likes the most. Oh, God Bless America. Yeah, it's a fascinating song. Do you know who wrote it? No. Written in 1918 by a Jewish Eastern European immigrant, Irving Berlin. Oh, holy mackerel. One of the most famous songwriters in history. Yeah. I learned today that Mr. Irving Berlin had no formal musical training, and he could only play songs in a piano on, in the key of F sharp. So he had a little lever. He had a special piano made with a lever, which would like transpose the keyboard to whatever key he had to do a song in so he could always play it in oh, F sharp. Irving, that's a lot more complicated than just learning piano. Anywho, he wrote God Bless America for a musical he was working on called Yip Yip Yap Hank. And he felt this Wait, song. Wait, what is the thing they say when they answer the phone? Ahoy hoy. Ahoy hoy. <laughs> Ahoy hoy. Yip Yip Yap Hank. <laughs> and he felt that he was really proud of the song, and he felt it deserved sort of something with a little more gravity than Yep, Yep, Yap Hank. Yeah. So he put it aside, and then it came out later in full force. It got really famous when it was sung by a singer named Kate Smith during World War II. Mm. Now, God Bless America has critics, like all these patriotic songs do. Famously, Woody Guthrie, he wrote This Land is Your Land. Uh, that song was a direct admonishment of the sentiment of God Bless America. In fact, This Land is Your Land was initially titled God Bless America for Me. Wow. Now, we have some other famous critics. The KKK didn't like it. Uh, they agreed with the sentiment of the song, but they didn't like that its author was Jewish. Mm -hmm. Some other interesting side notes. Uh, I remember when this happened, Hannah. It replaced Take Me Out to the Ball Game as the song sung in the seventh inning stretch at baseball games. Really? Happened immediately after the attacks of September 11th. Uh, and since then, it's been how many years now? 20 years? Mm -hmm. It's been such a long time. Some stadiums have gone back to take me out to the ball game. In Boston during the eighth inning, you know what they sing, right? No, what? Sweet Caroline, Is baby. Is that when they do it? Oh, yeah. Ba -ba -da. Yeah. Nick, That's... it's not ba-ba-da. It's ba-ba-ba. Okay, fine, you Bostonian. Very last patriotic song. It's been too many, Hannah. One of my favorites. Yankee Doodle Dandy. Of course. Have you ever seen that movie? I have not. Jimmy Cagney, James Cagney is George M. Cohen. You just keep giving me details. I'm sure eventually I'll have seen it. James Cagney couldn't sing at all. He never he never sang at all. He, was, he could certainly dance down a flight of stairs. But he, he wasn't a singer. He was a talk singer. He's like, I'm a Yankee Doodle Dandy. I'm a Yankee Doodle Dandy. Yankee Doodle Do or Die. Just kind of like talking his way through all the songs. 
So Yankee Doodle Dandy is just sort of a remake of the song Yankee Doodle. Doot, 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 doot. Yankee Doodle went to town just to ride oh, a pony, yeah. took a feather in his head and called it Megaroni. Right, right, That's right. That's different than I'm a Yankee Doodle Dandy. Yankee Doodle do or die. All right. Uh, you know what a dandy was in the 1700s, 1800s? Sort of yeah, sort of the difference is a fop is sort of a, a goofy. A go- oh, really? Yeah. A sort of a properly dressed, coiffed individual? Yes. Perfectly emotionless, androgynous, fastidious. The Very da- pretty. Pretty and passionless and cruel and uh, all these. Uh, the dandy was a very particular wow, that's character. so specific. Yeah. And if you're a couturement, the clothes and wig were truly the height of fashion, you would call them, oh, that's very macaron or macaroni, meaning it's from Ooh. this era of Italian fashion. It's a little bit like James Spader in Pretty in Pink if James Spader never got really drunk or angry. Wow. Well, look around. Would I treat my parents' house like this if my money was any kind of issue? So that's a dandy. I'm a Yankee doodle dandy, which means I just put a feather in my hat and called it macaroni. I'm like a simple. Oh my gosh, you're a you're a um, countrified. You're a poser. Yeah, a poser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what you look like with your nice bag and your feather in your hat. You look like a rube. All right, we've done music, right? Like a lot of music. We've talked about the word America and how it's fairly new. You got anything else for me? I can talk about food or fireworks. It's your choice. Hot dogs or scaring dogs? Oh, two different dogs. (laughs) Which one do you want to talk about? Hot dogs or scaring dogs? I want to talk about scaring dogs. Fireworks. You got it. All right. Hannah, fireworks are old. I know. I know that. Like How ancient. old are they? Not ancient. They're so old. <laughs> well, okay, so maybe this is completely incorrect, but my understanding is that they were innovated in China. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. 200 BC, Luyang, China. That's when the first sort of firecrackers were created. These okay. were pieces of bamboo, stuff with gunpowder. You could throw them in fire and they'd blow up and mm-hmm. everybody would cheer. The first visual explosive firework goes back to the 11th century and the first color tinted firework is from the 14th century and yes all of this came from china right wow 14th century 1300s we had bursts of color in the sky yeah you know imagine how exciting that would be to see that in the 1300s yeah Uh, But as to fireworks in America, they have been around since our first celebrated Independence Day, and that was July 4th, 1777. The Sons of Liberty had fireworks in Boston. These were the guys who, you know, know threw all that tea in the water. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a huge firework display in Philadelphia. It's just always been a thing. There also used to be on the 4th a lot of cannon fire and gun salutes, but that started to phase out after the War of 1812 when fireworks became more readily available and people tended to be getting hurt a lot from firing guns all the time. Yeah, I can see that. Fireworks were considered a lot safer than gunfire and cannon fire. However, people are still getting hurt a lot by fireworks. In 2020, there were an estimated 15,600 people hospitalized from firework injuries, the vast majority of which happened around the 4th of July. So we go back to John Adams here, Hannah. You know, he wrote that he wished for pomp and parade with shoes, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations. And boy, howdy, he got it. He sure did. Uh, Though his home state of Massachusetts. My home state of Massachusetts. It is currently illegal to own, sell, purchase, or use fireworks. 
I won't give away the name of the uncle who drove to New Hampshire every single year <laughs> to buy fireworks. We do have he a lot. He knows who he is. We do have a lot on the border, Hannah. A lot of fireworks. We have a stores lot of fireworks. All right, let's do the food now. We could do a full hour on the notion of American food, Hannah, since we are a relatively new country. And the only food we have in the United States is either based on that of the generations of people who lived here before colonization. And we have the food of the many, many immigrant groups who came after. So what kind of food says Fourth of July to you? So not just my family. Not just your family. Just lobsters. Mm -hmm. Um... Hot dogs, mm-hmm. hamburgers. The most famous 4th of July food is indeed the hot dog. Uh, Americans eat about 150 million hot dogs on that day. Wow. When did? When was it like hot dog? Okay. All right. So I actually don't know. Oh, okay. Never mind. In addition to the hot dogs, we have hamburgers. We eat 375 million of those on the 4th, more than, than hot dogs. But isn't it interesting, Hannah? Both of those foods are German yeah. In origin. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the term hot dog has a strange etymological history. So etymologists aren't unanimous on this, but the majority feel that they're called hot dogs because it was tied to the accusation that sellers of them put dog meat in them. Oh, oh. But oh, it's no, true. It's yeah. true. But as another funny patriotic aside, the words frankfurter and hamburger and sauerkraut were extremely unpopular in the wave of anti-German sentiment during World War One. So Frankfurter was just exclusively called a hot dog or a red hot. And there was a big push to call hamburgers Liberty Sandwiches and sauerkraut Liberty Cabbage. I just think of Freedom Fries. Do you remember that? I do. Washington right now, the refusal of France to support the U.S. and Iraq triggering a symbolic protest. Uh, Instead of offering French fries, some restaurants across the country now calling them Freedom Fries. In terms of how to wrap all this up, I keep coming back to something Byron Williams told me. He was our guest in the Declaration of Independence episode we did, as well as Declaration Revisited Black Americans. Uh, In both those episodes, he talked to me about Langston Hughes' poem, Let America Be America Again, where Langston Hughes said, I say it plain, America was never America to me. And yet I swear this oath, America will be. And I guess the point of me reading that quote is, Regardless of how you choose to celebrate Independence Day, regardless of where you fall on the political spectrum, I think one thing we can always celebrate is not just the history of our nation, but how we want it to be in the future. All right. Have a good 4th of July, however you choose to celebrate it. Or if you choose to celebrate John Adams' holiday. I hope you're enjoying a day after Boxing Day of July 2nd. All right. We'll see you with another episode next week. This episode was written and produced by me, Nick Capodice, with you, Hannah McCarthy. Our staff includes Jackie Fulton and Christina Phillips. Rebecca Lavoie is our executive producer. Music in this episode by Lucy Monroe, Azura, Chris Zabriskie, Francis Wells, Margarita, Sarah the Instrumentalist, Xavier Roussan, Bomol, Major Tweaks, Jules Gaia, Young Carts, Pictures of a Floating World, Makaya, and clips from Knight Rider, Boy Meets World, and the greatest musical of all time, 1776. 
Civics 101 is a production of NHPR, New Hampshire Public Radio. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Oh, the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue... Panting, you're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, let me just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. 